tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Michael Blackwell. Like his father, he earned a Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree from Tuskegee University. He also earned a Master of Public Health degree from Loma Linda University. He currently serves as the Director of the Program for Pet Health Equity at the University of Tennessee. His mission is to improve access to veterinary care for underserved families. Dr. Blackwell previously served as the Dean of the College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Tennessee, Chief of Staff for the Office of the Surgeon General of the United States, Deputy Director, Center for the Veterinary Medicine, Food and Drug Administration, and Chief Veterinary Officer of the U.S. Public Health Service. During 23 years on active duty, he achieved the rank of Assistant Surgeon General, Rear Admiral of the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps, His awards include the Distinguished Service Medal, the Meritus Service Medal, and two Surgeon General's Exemplary Service Medals. Dr. Blackwell and Michael, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Stacey, and I appreciate uh, the invitation to appear on your show. Yes, I'm thrilled. I'm a groupie, I have to tell you. I'm a real fan of the work that you've been doing, and I appreciate you taking some time to join me today. Before we dive into all the many questions that I have already lined up here for you, I really want to first find out, you know, how did you become passionate about cats and animals? Well, thank you for the question. As uh, you just noted in my bio, of course, I, I was born into veterinary medicine, My dad was in private practice at the time I was born in Oklahoma. And so I've been in the world of animals all of my life. I've owned and operated two private practices. And the people that know me best will tell you that I have always claimed to be a cat person when when (laughs) pressed (laughs) about which animal do I like the most. So I'm a feline in certain respects and just enamored with the species. They're just so intelligent and capable and resilient, and I could just go on and on and on. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And it seems like you have this interest in veterinary medicine, but you also have an interest in public health. And so why did you sort of cover both directions? Well, during my uh, first practice in Oklahoma, I felt unfulfilled, Uh, small town, mixed practice, being successful. And it was one of those things where there was a voice calling me to do something more. And I didn't know what that was initially, but through time, it led me to the path of uh, getting a master's degree in public health. Now, let me just admit, as a veterinarian, I've always seen my clients. I've always seen the pets people, the animals people. And so training in public health enabled me to gain a whole new set of skills in how to problem solve. In this case, the patient being a population, whether it's a, it's a colony of cats or, or animals or a pride or a population of humans. And so that's how I ended up on that path. I never lost the desire to be in clinical medicine, although I'm not now any longer practicing. That's the road that I traveled down. It was a calling. 
But it's an interesting calling because you have a holistic picture. So many people, many years ago, I'll say maybe we've grown out of it now, but we used to say, oh, I'm in animal welfare because I just like animals. I'm not interested in being part of with people. And and there's so much more to it because the animals are intertwined with the people. The cats are intertwined with the folks. And there have been so many challenges where in certain cases, maybe there's assistance for the cats, but there's no assistance for the people in that community or for the person in that community. And there's a basket of supports that we need holistically to be able to support that family unit. And it seems like that's something that you're trying to do through your program at the University of Tennessee, as well as with Align Care. Am I on the right path with that? Uh, Yes, you are. In fact, we coined a term One Health some years ago. And One Health is a paradigm now embraced internationally that basically says, if you want to improve the health outcomes for animals, let's say, then you need to factor in people and you need to to factor in the environment or their ecosystem. Likewise, improving the outcomes for humans requires an attention to the animals and the environment or ecosystem. So the work we're doing is based on that principle. And one more thing I have observed over my career is how often what we're trying to address or fix with animals It's very often caused by humans, human behavior, actions, proactions, commissions, (laughs) omissions. And so that dynamic is so important to look at holistically when trying to problem solve. So let's talk specifically about Align Care. What is it and, you know, what do you hope that it will become or what is it right now at this point in time? So Align Care is a conceptual healthcare system that should operate nationally, designed specifically for what we call bonded families. These are families with pets where there's a truly strong human-animal bond in order to improve access to veterinary care. And what drove this work was, frankly, the 2008 recession is when I awakened to the growing population of uh, families that are struggling financially. And we're not talking about slackers, we're talking about generally the working poor or senior retirees, people who would work if they could, people who are temporarily unemployed. When their family member, non-human family member, becomes ill or gets injured, they don't have a lot of options because the veterinary medical industry is still based on cash. And that means that you've got to pay the bill at the time of services. Less than 2% of transactions involve insurance. It's still not where we need it to be. So this work grew out of this growing national crisis and asking ourselves, can't we as the United States of America do better? And there are two really important reasons here, Stacy. Many of your listeners may immediately think of this from the point of view of compassion. And that is such an important reason to do this. But there's also a public health reason. To the extent that we ignore the animals, and especially animals in our communities, and even more so within our homes, we increase the risk of more diseases that are preventable in our communities. So whether it's compassion or to safeguard the health of the community at large, we can't ignore the animals. We just can't. It will come back to hurt us. 
as humans if we do that. So they benefit, we benefit, the environment benefits to the extent that we attend to their needs. So I'm going to ask literally the multi-million dollar question is, you know, how would you fund this kind of support? <laughs> well, that is, uh, I think it's now a billion dollar question, <laughs> Stacy. <laughs> well, at this time, the funding that we've received primarily from Maddie's Fund, and we want to give a shout out to that family foundation. They've been just quite generous in their support, but really their commitment to animal welfare most of our funding right now is from the animal welfare industry, but Aligned Care is intended to become integrated in American society where corporations, uh, both large businesses, uh, medium, small businesses, private citizens, and other foundations start to accept that families in America are largely bonded units. They are made up of human and non-human. That's two-thirds of American households I'm speaking of which, by the way, is more than twice the number of households with children. So what we're trying to do is get this country to recognize that when we talk about supporting our families, which make up our communities, that we really must factor in that there are non-human members in these social units called families. I think by bringing attention to that, we start to develop strategies, funding strategies, short of government programs, short of tax programs, but community-based programs that do a better job of supporting the entire family. That means if an organization, a social service agency, has traditionally only looked at the human members, we would like to see more of them turning some of those resources toward the non-human members, because those dynamics that play out within these families affect all. And so... Check out charity models operating in more businesses, private citizens choosing to support a national health care system through their donations and so forth. But community-based support, both financial and other, is where we're trying to go with this. I actually just a few days ago read an article about how some employers are now including adoption fees as one of their benefits for their employees, for their pets, because there's with COVID, there's been such a movement for folks to foster animals and it's helped them through their anxiety and they're continuing to work at home. And so the mm -hmm. thought that they might have to return them back to the shelter to put them up for adoption for a variety of reasons. It seems like employers are finding that these animals are really important to their employees' well-being, and they're covering the adoption fees, which isn't the whole package, but at least it seems like it's a half step closer to where we need to be. Yes, excellent example. And that's the future that, that we see. It's one in which corporations have in their benefits plans for their employees a chance to have a few dollars come out of every paycheck that goes into a pet health savings account, or in the case of foster care and many other needs that we, we see met on the human side, but we need to build forward on, on the animal side of, of that. I think it's through those kinds of new models or corporations that choose to have some percentage of sales go into a national healthcare system to support struggling families. This is what we can do as a country uh, to better support our families, our communities, our nation. Say goodbye to scooping. Say hello to a better litter box. 
Introducing Kitty Sift, the eco-friendly, waterproof litter box made of recycled cardboard. Just lift, sift, and reuse. See it on Amazon or go to kittysift.com and use coupon code PODCAST for 15% off. By now, you know how powerful the Dubert software platform is, facilitating everything from transport to fostering with just a few clicks. But did you know that the team at Dubert also provides consulting and custom software development for your organization's needs? The team at Dubert has extensive experience in website design, SEO strategies, mobile application development, and even advanced capabilities involving integration to social media and text messaging. Big or small, the team at Dubert can do it all. And because Dubert operates as a social enterprise, all of the revenue from their consulting services goes back into developing even more innovative and life-saving solutions for animal rescues around the world. So if you are planning to increase your digital presence online through a new website or some SEO strategies, or if your organization is looking for an experienced web development team to support your operations, look no further than the team at Dubert. Reach out to Chris today at chris at dubert.com and he'd be glad to discuss what you're trying to accomplish and how they can help. Are you a fan of the online events we hold throughout the year? If so, here's something new from the Community Cats podcast for 2021, the Community Cats Pass for discounted entry to all events throughout the year. Simply purchase this pass before the online cat conference begins on January 29th, 2021, and we will automatically register you for all of our events in 2021. At just $225 for one device, the pass is a savings of at least $85 over signing up for each event individually. Your pass includes access to the private Online Cats Conference Facebook page, VIP access to the Online Cat Conference, the Online Kitten Conference, the United Spay Alliance Conference, Behavior Day, Feline Leukemia Day, Fundraising Day, and our Neighborhood Cats Trapper Certification Program, plus access to recordings for all conferences that offer them. And if we add in any more programs during the year, you will be invited to join those two on us. Just visit communitycatspodcast.com before January 29th to purchase your pass, and we'll look forward to seeing you at our next online event. Are you also thinking about sort of a pet health uh, cooperative model too? Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, all potential options should be on the table right now. And you know, given the kind of minds that gather around animals, no telling what we're going to be able to do in a very positive way. But yeah, that would be another example. And I hope you keep thinking of, of some other <laughs> examples and feel free to share with me. <laughs> I love brainstorming. It's my my thing that I like to do. Uh, let's chat a little bit about the specifics around community cats. We've talked a lot about the bonded family and where community cats don't live in that bonded, specifically clearly defined unit. Is there a place for community cats or for even just a spay-neuter support in our communities? Is there anything with aligned care for community cats? Thank you for the question. Not presently, because given that there are such limited resources, we chose to focus, give priority to family units where uh, harm, I say lack of care for the non-human member causes emotional distress for the family, whether it's an adverse childhood experience that may come out of that, or let's say it's the senior who would be combating isolation and loneliness were it not for that non-human family member. And to lose that member would place that senior at higher risk of disease or, or, or problems. So we started there 
but we have always seen the presence of the community cats in the equation because they are part of the community. And this initiative is about supporting communities at the family unit. And when I think of people who care for the community cats within their community, that's a family unit when you drill down to the core definition of, of, of what a family is. It's a codependent relationship, in fact, because those persons who care for those cats are benefiting from being compassionate and giving in that way. So we want to build forward where we capture those individuals as well. But at this point, as we speak today, we're not quite there yet. So I'd like to ask you a little bit more about as the director of the program for pet health equity at the University of Tennessee, in addition to Align Care, are there other initiatives that that program is working on? Yes, but these initiatives are quite tied to improving access to veterinary care for the families that we're targeting. For example, we need better financing options for the working poor, for low-income families. We need better pet health insurance policies that work for low-income families. And so these are examples of uh, initiatives that we want to drive. But now we also are trying to collaborate with community organizations that serve a spectrum of, of, of the community. And in some cases, these may be shelters that actually have community cat programs. One immediate way in which we might assist them is to the extent that Align Care helps to fund the health care for people who present needing help, then they have dollars left over that might, in fact, help to strengthen their community cat programs or otherwise. So it's kind of a general answer, but uh, those would be some examples of other initiatives that are quite tightly tied to the mission of Align Care. Improving access to veterinary care is something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I'm always looking at maps and I trying to identify what I determine as sort of black hole areas and communities and trying to ensure that resources are getting into those areas. My focus has always been, and this is nothing new for my listeners, is around the access to spay-neuter, affordable or very low cost or even free spay-neuter resources within the community as a a first step, that's like what opens the door for us into mm-hmm. the communities. And then certainly over time, there's supportive care that needs to happen in that relationship building. But, you know, the first entry is that that spay neuter. Do you have any thoughts as to a strategy to be able to improve the availability of veterinary care in those communities? Well, I think uh, the first thing that I think of here is the size and complexity of the societal problems that we're talking about or challenges, not necessarily problems, but challenges, are bigger than animal welfare is traditionally defined, bigger than veterinary medicine. What that leads me to is we need programs like yours, initiatives like yours, and others that are educating the community. I think a more educated community will enable those few in that community who want to do something to help, to be able to help. So communication, education, helping uh, the community to understand the problem that we're, we believe needs to be addressed, 
and just continue to do that repeatedly because we're in the information age and there's just a real competition to get in front of people in a way that we can make a difference. Now, our work is informed by the millennial generation. I think this is important because it is uh, the millennial generation is the largest pet owning generation, followed by my generation, the baby boomers. The millennials are making some different decisions, including regarding society, social issues. Their loyalties seem to be a little bit different from previous generations with respect to wanting to support really important causes. So we can look in the past and say, well, the track record gives us this kind of outlook for the future, or we can look at the immediate future in front of us, that millennial generation, and understand that, you know, we need to message some more now in a way because the future may look different given who's come along at this time. And we're hopeful, of course, Generation Z right behind the millennials is going to be in many ways similar, especially around uh, animal welfare issues. Very interesting. I happen to have a millennial daughter and a Gen Z son. So, mm. and my daughter is a very passionate animal cat owner in that in that situation. So mm-hmm. it's a very, very advocacy oriented and believing in the importance of being a, a strong advocate. So I can see some of the comments there and I certainly don't want to generalize too much, but I think it's really important that we bring all generations into our animal welfare sphere. And I think sometimes we do have certain age groups that are higher representative and obviously certain demographic groups too. And so it falls into age diversity as well as ethnic and, you know, economic and all of that. So it, you know, the more diversity we can have, obviously the better off we're all going to be. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Michael, if folks are interested in finding out more about Align Care, how would they do that? Well, we would encourage anyone interested in learning more to visit our website. That's at PPHE, which program for pet health equity, PPHE dot UTK, University of Tennessee Knoxville dot EDU. So that's PPHE dot UTK dot EDU. And there uh, one can access the uh, report that we released in December of uh, 2018. The community manual, Align Care Community Manual, which uh, gives great detail about the program so the communities that are interested in building that model within to help address their needs uh, will have the information there. And, of course, there's contact information there as well if someone wants to reach out to us. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I would just remind our listeners that We have some challenges right now as a nation, but I believe we also are made up of people called Americans, many of whom are really, really great problem solvers, many who have big hearts and are willing to do the heavy lift to make for a better society. And we are just so fortunate to be in a nation that embraces animals. Yes, we do hear about those terrible things that happen, but by and large, we are defined as a nation that's compassionate about animals. And so we have reasons to be optimistic. We really do. It's not easy what we've got to accomplish, 
but we can get there. And as soon as we look at our communities as they are made up today, which are diverse, and they're not only diverse based on race or ethnicity, they're diverse based on species. <laughs> that American communities are made up of more than homo sapiens, humans. <laughs> and it's it's understanding family units, community units that helps us to understand who we are. And we already have the compassion going for us. And let's just take a closer look at who we really are today. Michael, that's great. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Well, thank you again for the opportunity to uh, share with your listeners. And we wish you the best in what you're doing. We need your voice out there and we wish you well. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Bye.